Welcome to Pet Chat on 2 and you are FM. Greg Richard here. We're joined by Dr. David Tabbert and Cheryl Shaw. Great to see you both once again. G'day, Greg. It's yes. nice to jump in the hot seat for a Wednesday afternoon. It's great to be oh, here. Yeah. What do you got lined up for us today, guys? Uh, I'm going to be talking about cats today. Surprise, cats. surprise. Oh, all right. Oh, uh, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's the brooch. Yeah. Look, it's a sad cat, this one. It's so <laughs> stiff. It needs to see a vet, I'm sure. Mm. We can help with that. And um, if we get time, I want to talk about some new innovations in veterinary practice, and that's the use of telemedicine. Right. So calling up your, your vet instead well, of not just bike. not just calling. Let's do video chat. Oh, there's so many options. Oh, no. Almost too many options. Welcome to the 21st century, Greg. <laughs> and Cheryl, we're talking about cats, but with arthritis. That's which true. I've been told not to massage them as well, though. Oh, you could get bitten there. A little bit Possibly. sore, might, a bit might touchy. Might get scratched as well. Absolutely, yes. And cats can actually give a nasty bite, which causes an abscess on people. So you do need to be very careful when you've got a cat that could um, potentially be in pain and bite you. But... About 80% of cats, by the time they're 10 years of age, have some arthritis, either in one joint or multiple joints. So it's really a time in winter to take a look at your cat, because often we don't realise that our cat is starting to get um, symptoms of arthritis. And in wintertime, just like with dogs and us, we tend to be a little bit stiffer in the morning and uh, when it's cold. So this is a time that you can take a good look at your cat and just watch what it's doing. Often a cat that has been used to jumping up in a window and, and sitting in the sunlight might not be wanting to do that anymore. And so you can say, oh yeah, the cat's no longer doing that. Or it might be something simple like you've got some stairs and the cat's no longer going up or going down or having difficulty in doing that. So that's again another indication that the cat could would have some problems. Often we think, oh, it's just when they're stiff, but there can be more going on because arthritis can affect their elbows, their hips, it can affect their lower and upper body, um, their back, and it can also affect their jawbones. So often you'll get dogs that are vocal, oh, dogs, cats that are vocalising. So you just got to understand that some of these symptoms that the, that the cat is um, showing you are worth taking your cat to the vet just to see if there is something that can be done. Now, there's lots of different management management that um, that the vet can talk to you about and David it's it's quite a simple thing once we diagnose of treatment isn't mm. it but but as you said quite un- underdiagnosed I think yes because we don't really look at our cats in the same way because they may tend to be sedentary most of the time whereas dogs seem a lot more active so yeah I think that once we start looking at cats and looking for a problem like arthritis it is probably there a lot more than we think. Yeah and sometimes it can be vocalising. Some cats really vocalise because they are in pain and owners don't realise that that's what they're doing. They'll often think that it could be some um, dementia or something like that but it can often be pain related. Hmm. Um, so also the change in toileting you know inappropriate toileting oh, can yes. be another indicator that the, that the cat's having some difficulty. So it's just about um, you know checking what the cat is actually doing because often if they're just laying around and they're not interested in play anymore whereas once they might have you know chased that feather on the end of the little pole they're not wanting to do that they're just wanting to lay around there could be something going on so I think it's worth in winter time really checking out your cat and just seeing what it's doing it, it has it changed its you know its behavior has it does it appear in pain is it stiff like my cat brooch this poor cat its legs are stiff its back stiff so checking out if it is happening to your cat and seeking some help from your vet so you can get some management and some pain um, so this insidious disease doesn't really get uh, a hold of them in in that way. Hmm. Yeah, talking about the diagnosis is um, oftentimes 
you know, it's about a, a really good clinical examination. Mm. And so the veterinarian being able to make sure they can palpate those joints, check the range of motion. The other thing we do is also assess muscle mass. So oftentimes with um, a very mild arthritis or some degree of injury, the it might be difficult to see the difference with the cat, but when I actually palpate them, I can see, okay, look, that leg is this size that, and this leg is half the size. Yes. The muscle is not there because what happens is that muscle goes through a process called disuse atrophy, which is where if they're just not using the leg quite as much, the muscle fibres will start to shrink down. And so that could be a clue as well. Yeah. Um, and even if we get to the point of doing x-rays, um, that may be a late change. That we're, If we see something on x-ray, I think that tends to be fairly late in the process. So it's really about paying attention to their behaviour and then making sure that the vet's able to have a good look and palpate all those areas, as we yeah. mentioned. Yeah, because when they're kittens, I mean, they're jumping around and they're playing. They even defy gravity in a way, that yes. some of the things they do. So they're really wearing down that um, that joint area and, and causing a lot of trouble there. Mm. But, it, I mean, older cats will slow down for sure, for different reasons. I, mean, mm. I don't think we're saying that it's always going to be arthritis. No. But, but it is actually the underdiagnosed thing. And the one that you mentioned that I've said here on the show before is the inappropriate urination. Mm. And that could just mean that the cat has trouble climbing in and out of the litter tray. Yes. And so they might just, you know, go beside the litter tray. And maybe that's the reason is arthritis. So mm, yeah, yeah. But get, I think we we see arthritis a lot in our dogs, and we go, oh, we better take the dog. But the cat just seems to just miss out uh-huh. on that. Where I think in this time in winter, it's a really good time to have a look at your cat and just see whether your cat can jump or not. Yeah. So what's what's the test for that then? If they can jump or not, just. Well, actually, one of the things that I do in a consult room is um, make sure the doors are locked, and then <laughs> let the cat out of the cage, and I'll just watch it walk around. Mm-hmm. And the owners will sit on the chair, and if the cat jumps up onto the um, onto their lap or something like that, you know that gives me an indication. I'll put the cat up on the table, and oftentimes the cat might then jump off the table. Yes, but that's a different height, and so then I can observe. You know, maybe the cat won't do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or if it does a little stumble or something, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or just us won't go and jump oh, off. That's yeah. right, mm. and. You know, the owners are often going to say, oh, they always jump up on the table. Or, mm. And that's the thing they notice at home. Yes. You know, they've stopped jumping onto the table. They're jumping onto the chairs. And that's really a fairly mm. straightforward test. Okay. Yep. Fair enough. Easy. <laughs> <Flat on. laughs> it's well, then, then we've got to mat- massage them, right? Oh, yeah. We've got to give them a, a gentle massage after yes. them as well. <laughs> it's, it's Pet Chat on 2 and you are FM 103.7. And Noel from Arcadia Vale. He's got a five-year-old cocker spaniel which has infected lips and they're not responding to treatment. Doesn't sound good, Noel. No, it's, um, we thought he had bad uh, tooth or something because um, his best breath is just foul. Mm. We took him to our local vet and uh, he gave him an injection and a course of antibiotics and he was telling us that cocker spaniels are the only ones who get this infection in their bottom uh, lips. Yep. And um, anyway... We've done the course of antibiotics, but, um, oh, mate, it's just it's foul. It's, it's still there, and I think it's worse than what we first uh, took him to the vet. Yeah, there's a. Um, I, I think I have seen it in a couple of other breeds, but they're pretty much all the same shape where they've got, you know, this folds on their lips. And yeah. so we do see a number of different breeds that this kind of applies to where they'll have things like nasal folds um, and lip folds. 
um, and also around the back end, actually. If there's excess skin and there's folds, they can get development of infections. Often it's a yeast that starts off um, with these areas and, uh, you know, once other bacteria get involved, you get that really foul smell. Um, mm -hmm. And it's difficult to treat, for sure. Part of the problem is that with the treatment, the infection is really on the outside. It's starting on the skin, on the surface of the skin, and then it actually gets embedded in the deeper tissue. The problem is that when you give oral antibiotics, they're uh, going through the bloodstream, and then the antibiotic has to kind of attack the bacteria, which are way out on the edge of the skin where there's no blood supply, right? So unless oh, right. it's it's a really deep infection, and some of these do... Um, then certainly oral antibiotics are warranted. But a lot of the time we will treat this with um, topical therapy, so an antibacterial, antifungal um, shampoo. And it does take quite a lot of time because ultimately if, if there's this lip fold that's there, you know, that's an anatomical problem. It's, it's not going away. And so... No, no. Um, and that's where in some of these dogs actually we'll do surgery to remove the fold. That's so, pretty invasive, though, isn't it? That surgery. Well, it's not. I mean, it's not too bad. It's it's like if oh, they have okay. a lump, lump somewhere, we'll take a lump off, and then in this case, what we're doing is we're removing the actual lip fold and bringing the edges of the lip back together, so that it's a um, you know we've reduced the area that infection can develop. Um, yep. Having said that, you've also so that's something that oftentimes we'll trial a course of antibiotics. We'll trial some antifungal, antibacterial shampoo, those sort of things. And then probably if we keep finding it coming back, and particularly, yeah, cocker spangles are renowned for this, um, then they often do require surgery. And, you know, not all cockers are going to have this problem, but certainly I've seen lots and... Cheryl, you see yeah, this a Yeah, we bit. see this a lot. And, and with yep. the cocker spaniels, when those folds are really deep, it's a really important that you try to keep them as dry as yeah. possible because if you can get as much moisture mm. out, it stops that yeast from really and the bacteria from breeding so much in the fold. Mm. So using your Maliseb to, um, to wash that area, but then getting it as dry as you possibly can and treating it, you know, really three days a week with your Maliseb will really um, have a good impact on it. That's what a lot of cocker spaniel breeders um, say to their clients when they buy these cockers um, if they are prone to having those um, lip infections to, to use the Maliseb three times a week and, and really make sure that you're getting it as dry as you possibly can to, just to get on top of it. Yeah, and drying often means um, in some cases we'll use a, um, an alcohol wipe. All right. You know, you can get those alcohol swab wipes and um, you can just use that to swab it out because that'll actually dry it out. But you have to do that after you do the topical therapy. So yeah. And if you've got a dog that's really drooly, trying to keep that area oh, yeah. dry as well because some of your cockers are very highly strung and they, they often are, are quite wet around the mouth. So trying to keep that dry. Um, if it's a deep fold, you can use a, a Q-tip into that fold to that's try right. and pull out some of the moisture. But just trying to keep it as dry as possible so that you can get on top of that infection. Yeah, and, the and when he has a drink, dry his mouth Yes, as well. absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of extra work for you, but you need to get on top of it just so that you can see if you can avoid surgery. But, you know, it may be the way you're going to need to go. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't be... Kiss me the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but, you know, having some face washes around, some, you know, some cotton pads, and, and you're just trying to just keep that area dry. Oh, okay. Thank you very much for your help. No, no worries. worries. Thanks, Good Noel. luck with that. 
Okay, bye-bye. See ya. Cheers, thanks, Tom. And David, you mentioned earlier about going to the vet isn't just in person anymore. You can do it I know. Other, all sorts of different ways, not just phone uh, either. Look, the last two years, can I say it, we've pivoted. Right. Pivoted, it's, it's right. It's been unprecedented, and I'll try and throw in a few more cliches. <laughs> um, but it's really interesting because there has been, obviously, developments in technology that have allowed us to interact with clients, interact with patients yep. in different ways. And um, one of the things that we've developed is an increase in capacity to provide telemedicine. A lot of the time, it, I think it started off, we, we certainly have seen this in terms of tele-triage, you know, where we can speak to clients or watch, look at a, a FaceTime video or something that actually will we can observe the patient yep. and go, yeah, that patient needs to come in or, you know, they, they're not too right, bad yeah. or whatever. But it's actually now getting to the point where we're providing telemedicine and there are some challenges in that for sure. And certainly there's going to be a lot of conditions. I mean, I work in emergency. So, you know, a lot of our patients actually do need to come in. But at the same time, there are people who look are remote um, who now have access to uh, immediate veterinary care in terms of advice and, and so on that they can do, which they did not have before. So that's a really important thing. Or it would have taken them like hours to get to oh, see someone or... Yeah. Or... I mean, we um, I've had patients that have driven to Newcastle from five hours away in, okay, the, middle, wow. in the middle of the night. Yeah. So, you know, those those guys, that's great. Maybe we do need to see them. But at the same time, can we actually provide some degree of advice before yep. they leave the house, for instance. We've actually done the same thing, by the way, with um, other veterinarians as well, where they've kind of taken us through, say, x-rays now can be sent or we can access their server and look at the x-rays, look at the blood tests, and we can actually consult. And look, this has even gone to another level, which is um, we our x-rays get read by specialists through a, a company that's based in the UK, but they also have offices in Australia. The interesting thing is that we can send them x-rays or ultrasound or whatever any time, day or night, and there's someone awake who's going to look at them. Yep. <laughs> now, they've been so successful, but actually now there's a bit of a wait time. Um, but the other thing is they've now got specialist services available. So we send them a whole history and we can actually get a specialist to give us a report back within hours. And interestingly, we had a case of this the other day on the weekend and I was working with one of one of our vets, and I said, "Let's get this case reviewed." And um, so we sent it, and of course we're thinking it's Sunday. Where's it going to go? And um, you know, it goes around the world, yep. and it ended up um, that the specialist who consulted for us is based in Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> so it went around the world and came back. But we're also doing, as I mentioned, teletriage, telemedicine, um, and I mentioned about remote you know, access or early access. The other thing that a lot of people would be aware of is that there is a, a, a huge pressure on veterinary hospitals through um, increased work, but also a shortage of staff. Um, that's been seen in a lot of different industries, but certainly in the veterinary world, this has been coming for quite a while. And so what this means is that telemedicine provides another avenue. So if I can't see you in person, but maybe there's someone sitting, you know, in, a, in their home, a veterinarian in their home down in Victoria, Sorry, and yeah. they can actually consult. So we're expanding the the possibility for people to access veterinary care twenty four seven. That's amazing. How long do you think it'll be before you be doing telesurgery? 
Um, there is, you know, in the human world, that actually happens. Really? Yeah. So they have, you know, robotic um, surgical instruments. Yep. And they're controlled remotely. There's there's um, always a surgeon on site, but maybe they have someone who's more specialised who can actually sit in Sydney and do that surgery. And then that could be our Dubbo or something. And then the next, they're doing surgery in a different place yeah, right. through robotics. I'm not quite sure how comfortable I'd be with it's uh, yeah. I mean, robot, it does. It does. <laughs> it does throw up a couple of um, challenges, both in our confidence. But I'm, um, you know, they're probably more reliable than I'm going to get in trouble for saying that. <laughs> more reliable than people. Uh, we'll, we'll move on anyway. We've got Paul from Wawangi, <laughs> and he's got a 17 year old Jack Russell. He wants to know when he's oh, when he's thinking about euthanizing his dog. Yeah. Hey, Paul. How are you going? Yeah. Good. Okay. So we've got a uh, 17 year old uh, female Jack Russell. Um, she's obviously now deaf and blind. We've got some arthritic problems, and particularly the hind legs and on, on her back. And so she's getting medicated for that. That's fine. And nighttime, pretty hard to settle. So we uh, we have a sort of sleeping sort of pill for that. Yeah. Uh, the issue is, you know, quality of life is not great, but all her vitals are very strong. Mm. Very strong. Brilliant heart, liver, kidneys, you name it. So we got this heart-wrenching uh, question of when is the time? Is there some sort of like a checklist that you know people can sort of work their way through and say, yeah, well, just now you've come to the end. This is the time to do it. Yeah, look, and it's a very common question that gets raised. Um, and I think just to recognise that, um, you know, you've done a wonderful job, particularly with a couple of those other health problems that are there. And I think that's one of the things a lot of people find is, you know, we we go along over the years and a problem crops up and we'll get that treated and so on. So now, then we end up with 17-year-old, 20-year-old dogs and 25-year-old cats. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just, it yeah. just brings up these challenging questions that you're asking. Yeah. Um, and I think in the circumstances where, for instance, we see dogs that um, maybe are 17 but they've got heart disease, and oftentimes as that deteriorates, you can witness the the deterioration in the quality of life very clearly Um, and so maybe those decisions are a bit easier but in the circumstances you're discussing um, there is actually some checklists that are used for quality of life assessment Um, and it's not actually a case of you know a threshold that you reach that says hey um, now's the time because that is very much a personal decision yeah Um, and I've always said to people you know some when I have this question in a consult room, it's really, look, some people wouldn't have gone this far and some people are going to go further. And so it's, it does become that personal decision. I guess the one thing I always say is like, are they enjoying their day? You know, if a dog, if someone says their dog sleeps 22 hours a day, I'm like, well, is that because it's in pain or is it because it has, you know, serious dementia and it won't eat? Um, but if it just wants to lie in the sun and sleep, well... I'm yep. happy, you know. I'm happy with that. It's up to you. So yeah, um, she's eating well, drinking well. Obviously, can't walk very far. So yeah. all that part's hard. Um, but yeah, as I said, all her vitals are really, really strong. Yeah. Look, uh, there's there's no age. There's no um, kind of threshold, as I said. But it is worth having a look at um, the quality of life assessments. Yeah. In part, it may not provide that decision point, but what it could do is actually give you a more objective de- uh, determination 
And maybe that's something that you do. Look, let's do an assessment now using that score. And then, you know, three months time, we do it again and see what we think. Because if you're watching your dog day to day, it's pretty hard to sometimes pick up on when they're deteriorating. And then, you know, the neighbor or a family member who hasn't been there for a while says, oh my gosh, what are you doing? You know? Um, yeah, well, that's why that's why I rang because you know you guys would be objective from a distance, and I'm just giving you the facts. And, yeah, and I'm really interested in what you've got to say. Yeah. yeah, one of those things that you've just mentioned, David, is really good. Viewing the, the, the pet again in three months' time, and one of the ways you can do that, because we do, when we're living with them, we forget what's going on. If you record, a, you know, a few hours every day, um, you know, for a week, and then view that in a month's time and then again in two months and just see where, where you're sitting at, when, where the things have deteriorated, because the phone is really a good tool to just remind you of what was happening. So just a little video? Yeah, a little video. Yeah. yeah. The, the other thing, Paul, is, um, and, and speaking with specialist on veterinary oncologists, one of the things they kind of help people with this decision-making is, you know, are they eating, um, are they in pain, and are they vomiting? And those are often some of those key quality-of-life points to ask. So, you know, if your dog is passing those things, then that doesn't mean that they don't or that they have a good quality of life. It's just they're some of the things that actually um, are key in that determination. Sure. And uh, sometimes a lot of shivering going on, so I'm not sure that's pain or cold weather or adrenaline. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, certainly so. pain is a, is something to be aware of, and chronic pain, particularly in you know with arthritis and so on yeah. that we were discussing yeah. earlier, um, yeah. making sure that we have some medication if that's yeah. needed. But a lot of, um, for instance, Jack Russell's little dog, um, short hair, they'll get cold. You know, yeah. they, they don't control their body temperature that well. So, um, right. you know, just making sure they're warm, they have a jacket maybe, that sort of thing. Yep, yep doing all that. Yeah. <laughs> Good so, so, right. I, knew, I knew it was a $50 million question, but I thought I'd have to ask. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a really good discussion, and I think it's an important one. And it, a lot of people are obviously, um, as their pets live longer and longer, they are having these thoughts as well so yeah. we really appreciate you ringing in okay thanks very much for all your advice no worries thanks paul Good luck. thanks a lot mm. bye-bye it's a tough question to ask though isn't it i mean regardless of i mean no one wants to put their pet down yeah i think it's uh you know i had a dog um and i've mentioned this story before when i was going through university and the, he had cancer and um, again we had a family friend visit and kind of went oh look you know he's really gone downhill since i saw mm. him last time but i'd just been looking at the dog every day and just going, oh, well, yes, he's got that, but yep. he looks all right. And ultimately it just became, you know, are there more bad days than good days? But that's not quite the situation Paul's talking about where you've got an active disease yep. process like cancer or, as I mentioned, heart disease. Yes. That's another one. Mm. Um, I think when it's these just, you know, gradual wear and tear age things, then you still need to make that assessment, you know, is today, you know, a bad day or a good day? Yep. Are we eating, pain, and making sure they're not vomiting or problems like that? Well, that's well. You got to also try and think and be fair to your animal as well, and not you're not doing it just to let them live around. Say you've got someone company, or yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. We've and that's why we use those objective assessments, or as Cheryl was saying, you know, just a video to remind yourself. Yeah, that's, that's another easy way to mm. do it. Mm. Well, before we run out, we've got about a minute to go. Uh, dog of the week, and on a cheery Ooh. note. And it looks yeah. like it's Bonnie. It's a seven-year-old cattle dog. Doesn't look too bad. Well, 
Looks like Bonnie oh, likes the lounge. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what you can tell, it's uh, most photos are on the lounge. All, all the photos are Bonnie just sitting or lying on something. So, um, how active is Bonnie? I mean, she's a cattle dog. She's going to want to run oh, around a bit. She's going to want a fair size yard, I'd imagine. And that's a good point. Lots of walks. It's a good point. Yeah, one of the things a lot of people when they're thinking about taking dogs, particularly thinking about these different breeds that have a really active lifestyle and they're bred for that sort of activity. So um, making sure you've got obviously a secure yard, but the ability to exercise the dog yep. as well. So that's really important. Cattle dogs can get bored quite easily. Yeah, some of them are more <laughs> balanced than others, I think. Um, and particularly, you know, if there's nothing identified um, that she's had problems with, then... You know, as long as you can provide that activity and the mental stimulation, that's the other thing, isn't yes, it, Cheryl? Yeah. They're really intelligent. Yeah, they need to be active. And I noticed that um, the uh, website is saying, you know, Bonnie's good with kids who are respectful of dogs. So, <laughs> so you better train your kids. Yeah, so <laughs> train your kids first. Train your kids. <laughs> I think it's a really good message, though, is for people is to understand how do we approach a dog um, how do we respond to dogs and understanding what the messages the dogs are giving us. We have to learn how to speak dog because mm. they're not going to learn how to speak English. Okay. I'll, I'll I, th th I think. <laughs> one day soon, but one day soon we'll learn how to speak We'll dog. develop the technology. <laughs> well, guys, we're out of time for another week. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. No worries. Thanks, Greg. And Pet Chat will be back again next Wednesday from 12 o'clock on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>